0: Hebrews 11, it's been called the the Hall of, of Faith, if you like, and uh, I haven't really thought of a title really for anything, but um, just, just call it Faith, if anything. Hebrews 11 and, and verse 1, Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And faith in the Greek is a word, pis itis pisitis, P-I-S-I-T-I-S. And it means a conviction or a belief respecting a man's relationship to God. It's when somebody starts to realise, starts to understand, starts to to get to grips with who God really is and what he is to walk in. This is what the the Greek sort of gets into it more, faith, this word faith. But it also means a consistency, it means a consistency. Because there's a few, if you like, there's a few sort of dimensions to this word faith when you really start to get into the the Greek of it. Because it means consistency. It means to somebody who knows where uh, all things come from in their life. But it also means as well, it means to trust. It means to trust. So that's the Greek word. But when you actually look into faith itself, and people say to walk in faith, but you see, nowadays it's not very often explained what it is to walk in faith. People say it, it's very flippant, it's very easy to say, but you know, a lot of people are scratching their heads about walking in faith. But you see, the big thing is, everybody thinks that When maybe somebody comes to the Lord, or or we look through history, or we even look in the Bible, that when you get somebody that operates in faith, or in great faith, and you see that in the Bible, whether it be somebody in history that's done that, we automatically maybe assume straight away that that's how they've always done things, or how it's always happened in their life. But especially even when you look in the Bible at times, or when you look at somebody's life, Nobody ever really, when you look at it, straight away just walks in great faith with the Lord. It's almost like a relationship. It has to be built up. It's like, if you're like exercising, now I wouldn't know much about that, to be honest. But it's like exercising. You know, if if you want to exercise a muscle, you want it to strengthen and that, then you've got to exercise. You've got to build this up. And this is what it means when they start to walk in faith. It has to be built upon. And you have to bear in mind something as well when we approach this subject. Is that you find that many people can, uh, if you like, if they say the Christians, and we, you'll find this yourself, they can, if you like, mentally agree with you. Okay. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian, you know. But the thing is, does their walk, is it consistent with that of being a Christian? So you see that now, that's where the faith part comes in. It's all right to say it, but are you walking in it? Are you doing it? And this is the thing. But there's another thing to notice that when we walk in faith, it always has to be in line with the will of God. That's another thing. And you see, Our faith, or great faith, can never ever operate outside the will of God. So when you want to operate in faith, one of the first things you have to do is understand who God is. His nature, what his will is for people's lives. You know, and the Bible tells you this over and over again. He's good, he's provider, is healer. So this is what, when they say about faith, it's like when somebody often says, and I know this is, and I'm only using this as an example because it's usually the one that people get hung up on quite a bit, and I've said it quite a few times, but you see like somebody with healing, you know, the amount of times people have said, you know, the Lord's made me sick or everything else. No, he hasn't. He couldn't have done because then, you know, when you go into Isaiah 53 and it says, By his stripes he is healed. Then that's contrary to the Lord's nature and what he's done. So the will of God is that you're healed. You see what I mean? So when you're in a situation to operate in faith, you know straight away that when somebody's sick, that's not right because it says in the word of God, By his stripes they are healed. You see, so that's what it is to operate in faith. And faith also, as somebody put it, a man called Lester Summerall was teaching on faith one time, and I heard this a few years ago. And he was saying, to walk in faith is to do those things that you know are right all the time. It's reading the word, it's praying. It's being with the Lord. And he says, when that happens, what happens then is a relationship begins to develop. And as that relationship begins to develop, you get to know God, you get to know who he is, you get to know how he moves, how he walks, what he did for people. And then as that relationship develops, trust starts to develop. And then you start trusting more the Lord for doing things in your life. And doing things through you. So that's the idea of that Greek word, faith. So if you have a look, it says now faith is the substance. So substance. in the Greek is hypostasis. Hypostasis. And this is actually a legal term. It's like something a solicitor maybe would, would use or something. But it actually, the Greek gives the idea of somebody having a document or an ownership of a property. The actual word actually means title deed. So it's a title deed. And then, if you let your eye run down in that verse to things there, it says the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Things in the Greek is pragma, which means to be done or an accomplished fact. So if you actually get the literal Greek translation of this verse, it says, Now faith is the title deeds of things hoped for, the conviction of things which have not been seen. So you're starting to get a bit of an idea of how faith is. But what I want to do, is I want to show you an example in the Bible of what I'm talking about. So if you'd like to flip with me all the way to Judges, chapter 6. And you'll all know about a man called Gideon. I'm sure you've all heard of him. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was then <clears throat> Israel had sown that which the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth, till they had come unto Gaza, and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and with their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for the multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Amidianites, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Amidianites, the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of, the ha- out of the house of bondage. We'll stop reading there for a minute. Well, for starters, the Midianites, <clears throat> they were actually the descendants, believe it or not, of Abraham. Abraham and the wife, uh, Keturah, uh, he took a wife after Sarah had died, and they had children, and one of them was called Midian. So this is where you get the Midianites from. And if you were looking at today, there would be in the region of the Midianites, would have come from the region of Saudi Arabia, probably west sort of Saudi Arabia. That's where they come from. And then you had the Amalekites, which were the, they were the descendants of Esau. So you can see where they were, they were coming from. And they'd all gathered together, to come against Israel at this time. But you see, Israel, as we've seen so often in the Bible, they've had all these things in the past, they've seen mighty victories, they've seen mighty things, and then all of a sudden you start to see Israel and their relationship with the Lord starts to wane. It starts to drift, it starts to drop. And you see, the worst thing is, even for a Christian... You see, when your relationship with the Lord starts to drift, the enemy just starts to come in. And this is exactly what was happening with Israel. I mean, there was like a scorched earth policy, if you like. Everything, there were crops, sheep, everything was being killed or burnt up. And then the next thing, these Israelites that had many, many great battles and the Lord had showed them many, many things were now living in caves living on scraps. And you'll notice that the enemy always instills fear. Always. That you can't do anything. You're rooted to the spot. That you have to go and hide somewhere. Always instills fear. But you'll notice something else as well. With Israel, and it's the same with Christians as well. You see, the enemy will always try to completely humiliate you. Always. But you see, the Lord is the one that lifts and puts you back in that place where you should be. And this is what Israel were facing. Let your eye run down to uh, verse 11 here. And it says, And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak, which was in Oprah. And that pertained unto Joash and Azabarite and his son, Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go this this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now this always amazes me. <clears throat> if you read actually in, in verse 15, in verse 15, He actually says, in fact, we'll read verse 15. He says, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know what Gideon was actually saying? They've sent me down from the mountains, the safe place, to go and try and gather up a bit of corn, because I'm least in the house. In other words, I'm the expendable one. If I cop it, you know, they turn around and say, well, you know, Gideon's a bit he's not as bright as a button like you know he's probably not the same as the others like you know he might have been if you like the runt of the litter so that's what Gideon's saying when he says I'm leased in my house in other words they've sent me out like because I'm the expendable one but it's amazing because when you read this you see what the Lord or you see what the world sees they see a man carrying in a corner trying to scrape a few bits of corn together because they're under an oppression by an enemy. The world sees a coward. That's what they see. But the Lord looks straight into the heartless man and says, mighty man of valor. And you know what valor is in the the Hebrew? It says a man of ability or a man of promise. In other words, the Lord's saying, I can see the ability that's in you, Gideon. I can see it already. And even Gideon didn't know what the Lord was talking about. But he had to realize it. So the Lord had to show him. But it's amazing when you see the Lord never ever looks on the countenance of the outside of a man, but he always looks on what's in the inside. If you just flip with me, I want to show you this to Hebrews 11 again. And just go to verse 4. And you'll see what I mean. I'm probably going to, against what most people would say on this. But uh, we'll just read this verse. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he bearing, being dead yet speaketh. You notice how it says, Abel... Offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. And when it says excellent, it means a, 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 a better quality. Now, don't get me wrong. When you read most commentators on this, they would turn around and say, well, you know, Cain came because he had the, the lamb and the blood and the, and, the, and the right, they're not wrong. And he came and he offered that in the right way because it was the blood and it was the way to enter in. And I have no problem with that. That's right. But what I will say is that Cain come and he offered of the first fruits of his labor. Now, when you have to actually had a look in the sacrificial system, people did come and offer the first fruits of their labor. So it was an offering. But you see, the difference was God saw the heart. God saw Abel's heart when he come and he offered it. He offered it with a heart that was in relationship with with the Lord. Cain come because he wanted just to come his way and do it his way. And that the Lord could never, ever accept an offering from. Now that was the difference because he looked on the heart. It's the same with Gideon. He looked on the heart. Right, turn with me back to uh, Judges <clears throat> 6. six and verse 17 now look at this it said and he said unto him if now I have found grace in thy sight in thy sight then show me a sign that thou talkest with me depart not hence I pray thee until I come unto thee bringing forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until I come again. And Gideon went up and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of an ephod of flour. And fresh he put it in the basket, and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. Now you see in them few verses, this is now Gideon, He's starting to present the things unto the Lord now. The word's been spoken unto him. He's heard the word of the Lord and he's starting to present the sacrifice unto the Lord. And what happens when he's starting to build that altar, he's starting to do that sacrifice, he's starting to build the relationship with the Lord. He's starting to know who the Lord is. He's starting to know what to do with the Lord. He's starting to know how to come in the right way to come before him. There's that relationship, there's that building between him and the Lord. He's starting to build with him. So turn to, uh, let your eye run down to verse 27. It says, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him. Notice the Lord has spoke unto him here. He's told him to do something. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Look, verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down. That that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built there. Now you can see, so Gideon, he was crouching in, in this wine press trying to gather a bit of food. And then the word spoke onto him. Then that word spoke onto him. From then, he developed a relationship with God. And then, when he developed that relationship, you start to see faith start to move in him. Now, even though Gideon did this at night because he was still frightened, he still did it. He still did what the Lord commanded him to do because faith started to build, because relationships started to build. He says, this is the God I can trust. He spoke it in me. I can trust him. And he started to build on that. And the Lord started to build with him. And then Gideon starts to go on. And when you see him before, before you know it, and I'm paraphrasing now, but as he goes on, Gideon ends up being the leader of Israel, a leader of a rebellion against the Midianites. He gets in charge of 32,000 men that has been called by his side. And then when these men start to, to, to gather around him, the Lord turns around to him and says, Gideon, there's too many son. 32,000, and you've got all these Midianites and it says, they're like grasshoppers or like the sands of the seashores. <laughs> and the Lord turns around and says, get in, you've got too many men. They've got to think it's by their own hand they've done this. So the Lord strips him down to 300 men. 300 men. Now, can you imagine that same man carrying down in the winepress? Now he's there facing a whole array of, of, of soldiers, trained soldiers. I mean, the multitude that the Bible doesn't even tell you about because there was that many. And he stood there with 300 men. Doesn't he just show you how the faith was building in Gideon each time? When he had another encounter with the Lord, it built again and it built again and it built again. And then the next thing. Is it verse 9? Yeah, 7. Here we go. Verse 7. Uh, chapter 7. Just let your eye run down to verse 19. It says, So Gideon and the hundred that were with him came onto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had put newly set the watch, and they blew their trumpets and break their pitches that were in their hands. Now it says a hundred men were with him, but you'll see there's three companies, so there's three hundred men. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with a, And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran, cried and fled. Isn't that amazing? So you've got him there now and the 300 men. They've come down. And what did they do? They blew the trumpets, and what were they able to do? Because the faith had built up in them, they were able to let their light shine. That's what it does. The faith that builds up in you, that light that Jesus Christ has put in you, is able to shine when you start to walk in faith. When you start to trust the Lord for things, that's when the Lord really starts to shine through you. That's why when you read in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, by faith, everybody that's mentioned in that chapter, by faith, it was they stood out and did something for the Lord. Not because they could do it, because they looked and said, Lord, I believe you. I believe that that word is true that you've given me. Now I'm going to step into it. Now I'm going to go forward with you. I'm not content to be where I am. I need to start walking with you. And you see when you start to let that build up in you, what the Lord has placed in you, what the Lord wants you to do, you let that start to manifest itself in you. You let the Lord work on you. And when you step out in faith, he doesn't leave you wanting. He always meets you right there, right where you are. It's that faith that we need to step out and let the, the light of the Lord shine within us. Look at what first Peter says here. Just turn to a couple of scriptures. First Peter in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 listen to this that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ you see that It amazes me because it says in the Bible, will there be faith found on the earth when he returns? And I often heard Leonard Ravenhill saying, I'm not sure about that, but he'll find plenty of books on it. (laughs) But you know, that's what it is. You see that faith, you see why it's so pleasing to the Lord? It's because it's that I trust you. I trust you with everything. It's because you're placing everything in his hands because it's the safest place for them to be, whether it be your family, whether it be your job, whether it be whatever it is. You see, when you're going through that trial, you see, when you're sat there and you're thinking, Lord, whatever you're asking for, whatever you're praying for, you're saying, Lord, it's getting awful close. But you see, this is the thing. This is when the faith really has to kick in. This is when we have to grit our teeth and say that we're not taking no for an answer. And it's the hardest thing when you're in the middle of it, Second Corinthians 5 and 7 it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And flip over to 1 John. I want to show you this. And 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and 18. Look at what it says here. It says, there is no fear, no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that is feareth is not made perfect in love. What's John trying to say here? Sometimes that verse seems, or people seem to think there's a contradiction there because it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding well there isn't a contradiction there because the fear of the Lord is that because there's a reverence to the Lord that's what it means there's a reverence to his holiness you start to understand his holiness you start to understand his authority and his dominion and where you actually are in that that's what that means but when we get to this verse there is no fear in love what it means is but perfect love cast out all fear this is what it's trying to say You see when you know how much the Lord loves you. You see when you realize that the Lord loved you so much that the very darling of heaven, his son, came and bled and died on a cross, endured some of the most horrendous treatment that anybody ever had to go through. You see, when you realise how much that God loved you, to do that, to set you free, then you should also know that you shouldn't have to worry about anything. Because he has demonstrated the greatest love or the greatest show of his love that he could ever, ever demonstrate. So when it says, perfect love casts out all fear, what it is saying is, you should never be sat there thinking, oh Lord, what am I to do? This is what John's saying. Because you should know that the Lord loves you enough that He's going to be there for you, he's got to provide for you, he's got to look after you, he's got to give you victory over your enemies. But all he wants is you to stay in relationship with him. Because when you're in that relationship, it doesn't matter what comes at you. You try facing the world when when your relationship slips with the Lord. You try doing that. It would drive you crazy. I don't mind admitting I've been there more than once. It drives you, batty. But you see, when you've got that relationship, and I know we all ebb and flow, we all do it. We all hit the highs, we all go down because we're human beings. We can't help but do that. But you see when you've got in that relationship with the Lord and you're starting to pray and you say, and every time when you're going, you can't wait to get to your meetings and you just feel that fire on you. You feel the Lord really moving you and you just, and you see even when like, you see even when like times, like say you get home, I'm just using an example, and the kids are playing up and just everything's a mess and just, people are at you and, and and things are just going wrong and everything you seem to touch just seems to go wrong. Everything. You see when you were in that place with the Lord, there is nothing that can bring you down. There is absolutely nothing. I mean, I, I remember when, um, I'm not sure I say this, but I remember anyway when I first got saved. And I remember when I was you know, I just felt that I just had to be at the meetings and I had to be at the prayer meetings and I was, you know, we're in the word and it was just, it was just great. You know, it's great to know that I was saved. It was, you know, that, that fear of death had left me and just all these things that used to scare me and used to terrify me. I knew that I was in the hands of a loving saviour. It was fantastic. It was like a weight lifted off me. And I remember coming in uh, coming in the house, like one night, and I would say, like to the wife, I would say, Right, where's my Bible? Right, my way out of it, and all that. And I remember uh, Angela just looked at me and she went, Right, what have you done with a person I've been living with for the past few years? Where's he gone? Because he definitely isn't you. <laughs> I just changed that much. She couldn't believe it. Like, she says, the Bible? She says, and it's a Saturday night. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. Because usually I was heading to a local pub or was up getting into trouble or coming back in a police car, to be honest with you. But <clears throat> that's what it does. And only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord can change a man and move on somebody like that. Only the Lord can take that fear away from you. And that's what it does. And that's what perfect love is. And you know that perfect love of Christ in your life. You're not frightened to move forward on with him. That really was a wee thought. It wasn't really a Bible study. It was just a few things that I jotted down tonight.